Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. 
And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John and Tim from the Bible watching this video. This was a theme video where we take one. <laughs> Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We stand in these moments because, again, this is what matters. What God has to say. Not what I have to say unless it's God's. Or what you have to say unless it's God's. So we read from Revelation Chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This church is the Word of God. And so, God, we come in this moment and we pray that you would continue to guide our hearts, guide our conversations, guide our lives. Jesus, we follow you. We don't ask you to follow us. And so may that be true of us as we pray these words you've asked us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to try to uh, set this up real quick because I want to get my friends up here and be able to have a conversation and maybe some time at the end to have some question and answer. Wouldn't that be fun? Maybe. <laughs> so here's what I would ask you to do. If a question comes to mind, write it down, formulate it, think about it. Um, ask two questions. Is this worth asking? Um, and is it coming from the right heart? And I think um, then we can do that. So that's the goal. So I'm going to talk fast because that's how I do it. If I have too much to say and need to get to something, I'm just going to talk fast. Is that okay? We can do that. Uh, we're, in a, we're in a series called Kingdom Over Politics. Taking back from politics what politics stole from the Bible. Our belief around sexuality and marriage. Our belief around life, womb to the tomb, is not a red thing. It is a God thing. It is not political, it is biblical. And so we take it as such. What we believe about racial justice and what we believe about the marginalized and the immigrants and the poor and the orphan and the widow is not a blue thing. It is a God thing. And therefore we will take it as ours. A mandate from God, not a mandate from a political party. Because we're kingdom people. Period. And so we serve the king who is the king of the kingdom, and that's Jesus. And so we're in this series, and we talk first about, man, this is week four. This is crazy. No one's, no one's killed anybody yet. No one's hurt anybody yet. No one's left that I know of yet. I mean, that's, that's amazing to me. And, and I think it has to do with this first message around civility. Um, it's not a political word. It's a kingdom idea. And we have said this, your credibility only goes as far as your civility. And if you're not going to be civil, then you're not credible around here. It's just how we're going to act and behave. We're going to be adults. We're going to act like mature people who can actually learn to disagree. Here's what I will say. These are not gray areas. These are black and white. And so though we may have the freedom and civility to disagree, somebody will have to have to accept truth differently than another in all of this because there is truth and we want truth alex you gave us this thought when you were here speaking that we live in a world that pursues happiness over truth how many of you would rather pursue truth over happiness and so that's why we're here um so with the second week, we talked about sexuality around marriage and holy sexuality and gender. That is not a red idea. This last week, we talked about life. And I want to remind us around life, um, a couple things to keep in mind that in Romans chapter, one, chapter 12, verse 1, that we are told to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But the, God's word says your body is not your own. It was bought with a price. Therefore, to claim things about our body that is our own as followers of Jesus is to step outside of the blessing of God. Because our bodies are not ours, we've offered them as living sacrifices to submit to the desires of God in our life and God only. And so, uh, as we dive in today, um, I continue to be incredibly proud. I also say this about life, that I would love to see as many people standing outside of the prisons trying to save the lives of those being executed as there are those at abortion clinics. I'll say that as well, because those lives count and matter too. I continue to be proud of the conversations I'm hearing about, uh, adamantly disagreeing with each other in kind ways. That's okay. 
We can do that. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. I would challenge us to make sure that the Holy Spirit is leading every conversation and that we're willing to grow and learn and hear truth in a way that changes maybe even our perspectives, maybe even what we believe. That would be powerful. Um, I will say this. I think Andy got in some trouble this week by a lot of us who listened and watched. Um, I got more feedback from Andy's message than any of mine. So I'm going to send him those comments through for those of you who were uh, let me know your thoughts on those. I'll let Andy know that. That's safe. Um, We've been saying this, and this is what's true. Our theology must inform our worldview, not our politics, not our culture, not our family of origins, not our experiences, our theology. What we believe about God and who he is, his behavior, his character, that must inform everything else. And our worldview has to be a biblical one. Has to be. This is the the space we are. I said this last week, I'll say it again from A.W. Pink. We cannot know his will if we're ignorant of his word. And we must not be editors of his word. We must be echoers. And so we have to take it for what it is. Today we're talking about racial justice. Good. All right. Great. Um, I I feel like some of us are kind of still sitting there in that moment, just just, all of this, just clenched. You know, let's relax. Let's breathe in and let's breathe out. Because if there is truth that is different than what we think or believe, it will be good for us. And it will transform us from the inside out. And it will help us be a people that are actually living in human flourishing. Because that's what God desires for us. That's why Jesus came. So that we would know what it's like to be made in his image. Um, I will say this. Here's the the posture I want you to take on this, okay? Racial justice. Um, Have you ever had your child, if you're a parent, or someone you care about, hurt themselves? And you go... You're okay. You're fine. Right? Like they, and, and they could, blood could be coming out of the head. And you're like, no, you're fine. You're totally good. Nothing, you're going to be okay. All right? Stop being a crybaby. Right? We have taken that posture today in the church toward this issue. Where we have said, no, it's not as bad as you say it is. It might not be. We have said, you're not as hurt as you think you are. But what if we took a different posture than, hey, you're fine. Stop complaining so much. It's not that bad. And the posture that we took was to lean in and say, are you hurt? Is there anything I can do in empathy and compassion to lean in? What if that's the posture even today as we listen with those ears? Not to try to determine if what's being said is something I agree with. But how can I be a person that hears the heart of another? As we talk about racial justice. Justice, by the way, is this. And I love this video. Living in a way is to not harm another. Acting in a way is to make wrongs right. Living in a way is to not harm another. That's within my... And then acting in a way is to make wrongs right. It's being proactive. And so as we, as we dive into this, let me define racism for us, and I'm going to introduce to you my buddy Terrence, and, and we're going to dive in. There's a lot that I want to say to set this up, but I think if I spend too much time setting it up, we're going to miss what I think is probably the most powerful part of this. And that's you hearing um, a group of people who love Jesus unpack what Andy had to say in his message. Here's how I would define racism, and we could dis- agree to disagree. Attributing to one race intrinsic superiority or valuing it above another and then treating others as undesirable or evil. 
Uh, it is a history-long problem. It is a global problem, not just a little black and white problem or a little Asian problem or a Rwandan problem or a Jewish problem or a massive... It is a massive, global, history-long, devastating, bloody, murderous problem. Just so we're aware. For example, the Armenian genocide in Turkey in 1915, a million slaughtered Armenians. Holocaust in Germany, six million. And who knows how many tens of million in the Soviet gulags under Stalin. The massacres in Rwanda in 1994, the Japanese slaughter of six million Chinese, Indonesians, Koreans, Filipinos, and Indochinese. A litany of history-long bloodletting, all in the name of ethnicity or race. And that is because humans are in rebellion against God. Period. That's where it comes from. And exalting ourselves over against our maker. And of course, if over against our maker, over against each other. It's what we do in rebellion against God. It's a given. So anybody that would have the audacity not to submit to the king of kings and lord of lords would not have a problem putting you down and putting you under. We find our pleasure and self-exaltation being made much of. And if I have to use my ethnicity to do that, thank you very much, I will do it. And that sin of racism, that grows in the ground of pride and self-exaltation is also undermined by this amazing good news, this gospel that Jesus gave us. It's undermined by it. And that's good news. And so if you struggle with the word racism, according to scriptural context, let me give you another one. It's called othering. It's what... God calls out all through scripture, and it's what racism does. It others. And so we're going to talk about it. Terrence, I want to invite you up if I can. Um, many of you guys know Terrence. He's uh, part of this church. You can give him a hand. It's always good to be welcomed and honored in that moment. Uh, Terrence, I, when I talk about undermining racism, I just want to give this... The gospel undermines racism because of the image of God, mm -hmm. right? That we're all made in the image of God because of the commandment to love your neighbor, because of the new creation, which is it rises above all race as we've been created in the image of God. And so therefore that's this, this equity, the quality piece. Mm -hmm. And because of the gospel of justification by grace through faith, faith alone, we are all in trouble before God without Jesus. Absolutely. You, you came to me and we began to talk. What, what was it about you that was within you that said, I want to put together this group and I want us to lean into racial reconciliation? One, reconciliation is, is at the heart of what you do. Mm -hmm. But this specifically in your home and then we want to invite everybody up. Absolutely. First, can I, can I just do you something? Can, yep. You can do whatever Dave, you want. I think that you are very courageous to be doing this, first of all. I don't know a man of God who would do this entire series on politics, kingdom over politics, and then add this to the mix. So I just want to thank God for your obedience and to say to you, let's go further. <laughs> the reason... The reason why I thought this was really important and, and, and for us to have that conversation, uh, many of you probably don't know this, but I had some biases against Dave when I first met him because he would never re return my text messages. And every, everybody said amen. And so it's internally, I thought that it was because I was black. 
But I found out after meeting the Hope family that this is Dave's behavior. (laughs) Which is the premises and basis of why I thought it was important to get a number of people in one room who had different perspectives. Whether you were far right, in the middle, or far left, when we come together as the body of Christ, there is a center between us, and that is Jesus. And the only way to shape our perspective, regardless of how we were raised, you know, what we believe strongly about, whether it's, you know, pro-life or whether it's Black Lives Matter, whatever it is, is to get in the room and allow Jesus to guide our perspective. I believe that we could sit in a room and build a bridge to love each one of us, even from the suffering that we have encountered, which is our own personal experience, me as a black man, and how I viewed a white man, and vice versa, how a white man viewed me. That if we can get in a room, that we can build a bridge and show the rest of the world what does it look like when we come together, not just as the body of Christ, but as human beings. Ah. And so, last year and a half, almost two years, We've been gathering, and I have to tell you, it's been one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. It's been transformative, and I want to invite those who gather with us every Tuesday who are here today to come on up, find a spot on the stage. We've got microphones spread out. Go ahead, move this way now. If we could welcome them up, it would be awesome. Romeo, I was looking for you earlier. Everybody say happy birthday to, to Romeo. His birthday? His birthday. Hey. <laughs> happy birthday. Clear example, Romeo is really sharp because this is how you go to black church. <laughs> <laughs> His first encounter with hope. Sit <laughs> down. Yeah. Oh, we can all, there you go. We can all just find it. Yep. Joel, can I put you right over there for me in the middle? You take that with you. In the middle. Oh, you, got a you just hand it to the back. Yep, that right there. Oh, yeah. Um, so here's what I want to do, just so that you kind of get, um, it, meet everybody. Um, there's probably, second service, we'll have three or four more um, that are part of this. And we've had people kind of come in and out. And if you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, I would love to be part of this, come and talk to Terrence or myself. Um, because this is a growing group. And I tell you what, this has kind of become a little bit of a family um, as we've got to dive in. And these conversations haven't been easy. Matter of fact, in the beginning, Terrence, I don't know about you, but it was almost like, where's this going? Uh, Because it was intense. So if everybody, if we could do this, everybody introduce yourself. And what's the... What's the, the, the one big lesson so far or the takeaway, and I know you've been thinking about that, that you would say, man, so far, because we've come together and did exactly what Terrence has described, this is what's going on in me. And we're going to give freedom to, to just be open and honest. Can we do that about where we are? We're going to hold that. We're not going to judge it. We're, not gonna, we're just going to hold it because that's what we do. That's called being Christ-like because Christ holds us. Um, and so we're going to start. Alex, I'm going to make you start. Is that okay? Since you're very familiar with everybody, is it good to have Alex back with us? So, uh, what was one thing you said that I've learned or grown in? Um, 
I think um, assumptions, as Pastor T just demonstrated, uh, often lead to wrong or harmful conclusions. And relationship removes those assumptions. So in order to, you know, kind of not even get over something or learn or grow, or, or you might even be right, but maybe somebody else needs your perspective too. And I think only the, the, the shortest distance between two people is a conversation. And there's not as much conversing as there is arguing. So, yeah. That's a good word. Yeah, I would echo that and say that we're all learning together. And you might assume that I know more about a subject than Joe does. And you might be wrong. It's, we're learning together, and it's really cool to get down the assumptions and hear everybody's heart. It's just, it's amazing, it really is. Yeah. What's your name? <laughs> My name is Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I'm Luke. Um, man, I have to do one takeaway? Gosh, all right. Um, I think the biggest thing is we're, at, we're in a battle between with what the world says what justice is and what the Bible says justice is. And so this has been very helpful to navigate that. Um, and it's, I'm not saying like everything that the world says for justice is bad. There's some good takeaways with that. But having that something, well, a open group where you can discuss, discuss anything and be real with it too, um, to kind of navigate what does justice look like in Jesus's eyes and removing some of those assumptions of people and like, um, I think the other thing too is you're um, developing relationships, not really in proximity with people. Because any justice um, thing that happens is like you have to develop relationships, whether it's racism, environmentalism, you name it. And it's these small pockets over time and throughout the country that's going to make big changes that are going to be beneficial for our nation and the globe itself. So it's good. Thanks, Luke. My name is Betsaida. Good morning, everyone. Um, what I take away from this experience, um, the blessing that we were able to open our home um, and bring everyone together and uh, hearing everyone's story and uh, learning from each other, I think that was so impactful for me. Um, this experience, uh, one of the stories, Emmanuel, it's not here tonight, uh, this morning, but um, is his story and how he was hesitant to come to Barrington because of his color of his skin, that it came to a point that he even put Terrence's phone number on his arm. And uh, once... And his lawyer. And his what? And his lawyer. And his lawyer, okay? So he wrote these numbers on his arm, and uh, once he got to Barrington and came together with all of us, that wall was brought down. And I think yeah. that for me was very impactful. Um, he was able to just share his story. And um, I think that it's just been a blessing to uh, know each other and learn from each other. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lori, and I'm part of the Racial Reconciliation Group. And I have the InZone boys over almost weekly for dinner on Wednesday nights. And for me, one of the things Terrence was teaching us, and I didn't fully understand it, was racial bilingualism. So that's me seeing you in me, and you seeing me in you. And I think the first takeaway was these boys in my house, I love them just like I love my son and his friends. Like, I would do anything for them, my mother heart comes out, and I'm, I love them as if they were my own. And 
Not that that surprised me, but they're no different. And then I met Angel, who is Micah's mom, and Emmanuel's mom. Emmanuel's not here. But I, my racial bilingualism has totally taken off watching you as a mother. Um, your mother heart is so on fire, and I so resonate with it. And we were planning Micah's, what did we call it? Cinco de Micah, because that's his birthday. And we were planning... <laughs> that's when he was born, and we were planning his birthday together. And we were, we were on the same website. We were looking for these Nerf guns on Facebook Marketplace, and everything she was doing, I was doing, and it was exactly how I would have done one of my, my son Austin's birthday. I'm like, you are just like me. And then the other thing that hit me that made it so different for me is she's telling a story about coming home. They go home on the weekends, um, mainly on holidays, to spend with their family. They're driving back to Barrington on Easter. It's late at night. They've probably had a great Easter. And she's telling her sons, we can never drive to Barrington this late again. As my parents would have said, don't drive to the city late. You're going to get hurt. And they start having a conversation as mother and sons about where they should put their hands if they get pulled over. And Emmanuel said, should I put my hands down here? And he said, no, that look, that's like you're looking, reaching for a gun. And Mike is in the back seat, and he's like, well, where should I put my hands? Well, I'm like, like scared to death to drive to Barrington. I've never in my life. That hit me like, what? So that, those are my three big takeaways. I know I was only supposed to give one. Yep. Just one. <laughs> uh, my name is Jen. Um, it's hard to think of one takeaway. Um, the one thing that I feel like I've been... Um, kind of hit over and over or reminded of um, is my white privilege. And I know that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Um, that term, um, there was a time in my life where I was, I learned about racism and injustice for the first time and was really hit by that and seeing that um, happen to people I love. Um, this time I just, I feel like my eyes have been more open to, um, because of the color of my skin, the opportunities, the choices, um, that I can make. Um, and because of that too, just encouraged to be intentional. So I have this choice of how I'm gonna raise my daughter, conversations I'm gonna take part in, how I'm gonna further study. I can very easily put together a list of books that are recommended to um, learn more about racism um, and can easily not read them or subscribe to all these podcasts to listen to uh, conversation about racism and easily um, not listen to them. So. Um, just the, uh, been encouraged that it's very intentional, it's a lifelong, it takes effort, um, and I've loved being part of this community, having that conversation, um, and then again, too, like a lot of people have said, and not just this conversation, but always being pointed back to biblically, what do we, what does the Bible say about this, um, how does this affect us as believers, how are we representing Christ, um, that's been such a great encouragement. Good morning, I'm Angie. Thanks for um, letting me be a part of this. I, um, when you first asked for me to be a part of this, I was really excited, not today, but I mean in general, because I thought I would have a chance to really say what I needed to say. I mean, really, that was part of my thinking. Like, I wanna be able to talk about Black Lives Matter in a way that I feel needs to be said. And then when we sat in the room with, and that was in the early, we had like 40 people, and I heard people of different color have very similar views as I did. 
that was just eye-opening. So for me, probably the greatest takeaway was truly being a student. I didn't go in thinking I was being a student. I was really went in to say, I, I have some opinions. Um, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <laughs> and I became much more of a student. So grateful, really grateful for that. That's awesome. Micah. I'm Micah. Um, the greatest takeaway for me is just getting to know a lot of people with different views, because usually people like other people like who have the same views and like the same things as them. So really getting to know people with different perspectives and opinions and growing together. Uh, my name is Joe Mazanga. Uh, this is my wife, Lori. So we have been involved in, with Terrence and the boys and dinners every Wednesday night. I get one, just one, okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's it. So I, I will say, we talk about trust builds transparency and transparency builds trust in this church. And that's exactly what's happened. We've gone from proximity to the relationships. One night after dinner, Emmanuel over there, uh, Angel's son, comes to my wife and says, Auntie Lori, will Uncle Joe let me drive his car? In other words, take me out driving for my driver's ed hours. And I like, what in the world? How did I ever deserve the honor of having this opportunity to enter into relationship at that level to build that kind of experience that I am forever grateful for? And Uncle Joe, you did it. So how did you get to that point to let him drive your nice car? <laughs> Sorry, you got to turn it on. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Joel. Honiger, thank you. Uh, I've got one and a half. I'll make the first one real quick. So at the beginning of the process uh, of us and them getting together, similar to what we've heard other people say, um, I was expecting certain answers to come from, I'm not othering in a bad way, okay, but from the others who are part of the group. And very early on, the, the answers to the questions we would discuss, uh, I was getting unexpected answers from people uh, where I said, well, gee, that's not what mainstream media would have said that those people would say to that question. And so early on in the process, it, it, it made me a student too. It made me very eager to hear and understand that, my gosh, our Christian brothers and sisters can study scripture on their own and do some thinking on their own and say something different than you would otherwise expect people to say. So number two, something that I learned was just a few minutes ago when we got started, and it's just impacting me right now. You know, when I go in the city, not only do I not write Dave's number on my arm, I don't write my attorney's number on my arm because I don't have an attorney, see? And so that's really interesting that some people not only have an attorney, but they have an attorney whose number they know and they write it on their arm. So I got a little more to learn here, so thank you. Yeah, Romeo. Hey, <laughs> just want to just, well, I just want to thank you and you, Terrence and Dave, just for um, just bringing everybody together. It's an amazing experience just to see how we can sit around in the table or just in a group and really truly just understand one another and not argue about if we agree to disagree on something. And that just shows the maturity of everybody in this group. Um, just wanted to piggyback off of what he said, just the assumptions. Um, it just brought me back to the scripture, you know, um, my people perish from the lack of knowledge. Um, that's what's really happening in church because we're not 
being bold and we're not pushing out and we're not, what you said earlier, loving one another, right? And it made me also realize um, when you think about the inner city, a lot of people don't even love themselves. So how can you really love one another? You know, so um, I think if it's, it's a first internal thing that we got to do. It's like Dave said, being Christ-like is really allowing him to work through you. You're the vessel. So yeah, that's it. That's good. Hi, everyone. My name is Angel. And um, my biggest takeaway has been being able to clearly define what it actually takes to build a bridge. And um, the first thing that I would say that it, it takes is understanding. Like for example, I just wanna put out there right now that many people in the audience, because we're talking to a predominantly white audience, um, you may have been frustrated and confused and um, felt like you didn't really know how to build that bridge. And one of those reasons is because not all black people have the same perspective and opinion. And so people can say things to you and then you can try to you know, appear empathetic or really put that best foot forward and then you can get slammed by another person of color and be told something completely different and then you're sitting there a little bit scarred from it. Like, well then I'm not gonna go back down that path again. So I first of all wanna say with the understanding, um, like Pastor Dave said, we can all take a deep breath because in this sort of environment, where we have agreed to make it a safe space, then we're able to let our guards down and actually prepare to grow through that process. So understanding is first in terms of building a bridge. The second thing is intentionality. Everyone's busy, everyone has things that are going on. None of us necessarily wanted to take the trek that is an hour to two hours up to Barrington to meet every other Tuesday and talk about things when we have other bigger things that are more pressing and urgent in our lives going on. But if we don't set aside time with intentionality, it's just like a relationship with God, right? Like if we don't make that effort to set aside time to read our word and prioritize it, to set aside time to pray and not just our continual praying without ceasing through the day, but our set aside quiet time, then how are we gonna grow? And the same with this, if we don't invest in the learning and growing of an area, then we're not gonna see the fruit of that thing manifest. And the last thing to building that bridge is that we have to make it personal. They alluded to it in the in the video. Pastor Dave, um, you know, talked about it some this morning as well. Um, but it's not until we create a unity and change from you know me and them to us that we'll ever be able to bridge that gap. And um, I can say that there's just nothing like putting ourselves in the shoes of someone different. Um, I am going to purposely not go into detail and make this about me, but I'll say that in the last several years of my life, I have found myself in a complete different place and position than what I had been at a different place in my life. And as a result, I have gained a significant amount of empathy to the people that are in this place that I didn't know. I was unaware of the fact that I didn't know what I didn't know. 
And so a lot of times we can feel like there's this pressure of like, they just want me to admit that I'm a bad person. And it's like, no, our, our goal as believers is I just want to be more Christ-like. And every single opportunity that we get for that word to show itself like a mirror before our face, and we see where something doesn't line up with hope and with joy, we should leap to that thing and say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I want to be more like you. So building that bridge um, and having a clearly defined way to do that is my takeaway. Did you, did you notice how we were all just <laughs> listening? And Angel, you have just such a way mm. with words. And I, a lot of my learning has come from listening to you mm. process. And I, I just appreciate that. What we, what we do, and Terrence, if you want to add to this, you can. What we typically do is Terrence or myself, more often Terrence, will bring something that's going on in culture, something that we've seen, something that's happened, something that someone said, and we'll ask each other how we're processing it. And we'll sit for an hour and a half and we'll do that. And so we thought it would be most helpful for us as a church to see what it looks like to actually process in a healthy way mm-hmm. something um, that is, is put in front of culture. And so I asked you to listen to Andy Stanley's message because that came a couple weeks after George Floyd. Um, and I, I felt like Andy leaned into the moment. And we discussed this as a group. And what I want to do now is discuss this in front of you as a group. So we'll do it this way. And and maybe towards the end here, we'll have some time to let you ask some questions as well. But I want us to go back to that moment about three weeks ago when I asked you as you listen. And let let me, for those, how many watched the message from this human race? That's not not horrible. Wow, great. Um, The rest of you that didn't, real quick. He says, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. It's a Martin Luther King um, quote. The only thing that can change our fear or perspective is experience. So we can't sit from afar and make judgment calls. We have to put ourselves in the midst of it. Uh, He said, if our personal experience is the way forward, then how do people who don't look like you experience you? And then the second question he asks is, how should people who don't look like you experience you and took us to... Um, the new command that Jesus gives that we love as Christ loved. He said, we are accountable to the law of Christ to do that. And then two things, it must not be enough to be racist, but to be anti-racist, meaning uh, how do we, how do we live that out? The second one was that proximity is not friendship. I think Luke, you brought that up, that our love for God is demonstrated in how we treat others. And one thing transcends our limited experience and knowledge. That kind of is a summary of what Andy was saying. Can some of you give me your initial response when you listened through what was going on in you? Um, that could just be, as we're listening in, how did you, because I got a lot of emails this week about how the church received Andy's message. How did it, each of you receive that? As, as um, someone who's been in this process sometime, what we didn't tell you is that racial reconciliation, our restorative racial reconciliation session started with our kids first. So Hope Youth and our boys in our house getting together once a week on a Thursday And then they told us, the kids told us, why does this have to stop? And we should be doing this for adults. And so that's that's how we got to that place. Um, And I believe it was Micah that asked that question um, of me. Um, So so let me just help everybody to relax. 
we all have privilege. That's right. So white privilege is not a bad thing. Black privilege is not a bad thing. Privilege is not a bad thing. It's what you do with the privilege that you have. All right? Andy Stanley said something that I disagree with. He said that white people are threatened by black men. That implies that all white people are threatened by a black man. I disagree. He also said this that I do believe, I, I agree with. He says that facts aren't fair <laughs> and facts aren't feelings but then in his in his message he did exactly what he said he did the opposite right he gave personal opinion his personal opinion which we all do sometimes we get swept up by current affairs that are happening in the media and we forget that the media has a spin on it we don't take that and process through the lens of our faith When we do that, we miss the fact of what God is saying for us as his children so that we can build bridges and allow justice to come when there's injustice. And so I just want to I just want to put that out there. Free yourself. It's okay to have privilege. We don't believe that just because you were born into wealth. (laughs) Yeah. That you are a bad person and you need to give away your wealth and give it to us. We don't believe that. We believe that, yeah, you have wealth. We want you to experience empathy, as Angel described it. That your world, the world that we live in, is not the world that everybody lives in. So when you go to the voting polls, are you voting (laughs) from your cultural experience, your political experience, or your biblical perspective? That's good, Terrence. Okay. So this is uh, not a direct quote from Andy. I haven't watched that video in a few weeks, so I forgot (laughs) some. But uh, I think one thing that can be taken away from what he said, from what I remember, and and even from, he didn't necessarily use these words, but there's there's a... this, there's a distinction, but there's a connection between orthodoxy and orthopraxy. So there, there, there's been this pushback from, you know, regardless of what side, but the one side will push back and say, okay, just preach the gospel, just give the Bible, just preach the gospel. And another side is saying, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that, we got to make this change, we got to make that law, we got to It's not that either is wrong or that, both, or that either is right. It's always a both and, and we miss that in society, and we definitely miss it in politics because you can't really win unless you're extreme on one side. So the, the reality, the truth is somewhere in the middle, which is where the Bible lands. And for God, love is a verb. Justice is a verb. It is not enough to believe orthodoxy in justice without the orthopraxy, the praxis, the practice of doing what you right. believe. So we have some people in the church, probably a lot of people in the church, who have the right belief, but don't do anything about it, or that belief doesn't, doesn't um, launch them into action. It doesn't mean you gotta be online picketing, and you know, it doesn't mean all that. Sometimes it's just one conversation. And that may seem insignificant, but it's not. In reality, there's 2.3 billion Christians on the planet. If every single Christian, quote unquote, got it right, Two-thirds of the world is now Christian. 
Like it, the number, the, it, we don't need to save the country or the world or anything. Just talk one person. Just build a bridge with one person. And you don't know what that's going to bear in the future. And there's one other ortho is orthopathy, which is the right feeling, which should be led by your right belief of biblical justice or the Bible in general. Right. And that right belief will lead to right feeling, will lead to right action, or at least that's how it's supposed to work. More response to what you uh, I will say, uh, Terrence, so when uh, Andy Sandy said, said white people are afraid of black men, that actually hit me like, wow, I couldn't believe somebody said that out loud, a white person. So I actually had the, I think there are many black men that underlying, you have that fear. As, as an example, I was, uh, riding in a um, forest preserve on my bike. And typically, if I'm, I'm riding, right, it's by myself, and in the distance I see somebody, I, this is just this internal dialogue. I see a white woman come by themselves. I think, I assume she thinks she's about to get killed. I'm, I'm being hyperbolic here, right? So I go out of my way to be friendly. I mean, I'm friendly anyway, but out of my way to make sure uh, that she's assured she's safe and to prove that I'm not a threat. So I was really... Surprised that he said it out loud. I had never heard anybody say that. So I appreciated it, even though I don't think right. Not everybody is afraid, but yeah, that was that stood out to me. That stood out. Yeah. Quick, quick, quick question then for the black men that are up here. Do you do you also process the same way that Chris just said? As you walking past a, a a white woman, do you adjust yourself differently so that she doesn't feel intimidated? I know that I have. I'll be quick. I, this absolutely, but and I was on Memorial Day. We were at a friend's house. It was a it was a white uh, family, and you know, as is often the case, I was the only black person in the room, which is not a problem. I, I'm good with that. But I was talking with them, and um, I was like, I'm, I don't know what we we're talking about, but I was like, I'm never fully free. And and this is what I was saying because I had just had that experience the day before, and I was in a hurry, so I was kind of I was running. But then at the, at the, at the corner, there was a, a white lady stopped, or she actually she was ahead of me, and I was like, okay, how, how fast do I need to go to get ahead of her so I can get all the way ahead of her? Or do I have time to kind of like stop and then be enough distance back so that I'm not too close to her? But no one knows this is what's going on in my head, and it's automatic, it's just, it just always happens. But it's also, it's also informed by personal experience. It's not what I've heard, it is what I've heard, but it's also, it's, there's been those times. I know when someone crosses the street. I know when someone clutches. Like, you see it. Most racism is covert, not overt. So George Floyd, that's, that's, everyone can see that. But every act of racism I've experienced, no one saw it. And no one knows about it because I didn't die. It didn't make the news. So that's why when people talk about racism, it can be like, oh, wait, 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 I thought everything was good. Because on a day-to-day -day basis, you're not having these internal dialogues or these little, these little microaggressions or these little things to deal with just to make it through the day. So it can seem like there's nothing happening when there's a lot happening. So, so what you're saying is I should stop teaching my kids that if a black man is trying too hard to be friendly, he's not going to steal your wallet. That's, okay, I got it. I got it. Right. I think that I think it's thank you for your transparency and your courage. I, the challenge for us, I challenge all of you, is we see through our own lens and our own eyes, because we don't have that experience that's never crossed our minds uh, that we would experience a person coming down a bike path that way. Chris, we have to just we have to enter into those conversations and relationships to build that. That's why 
just not being racist is not enough. We have to become anti-racist so we can understand deeply what it is like to be in your shoes, not just look through the world in our in IRS. And I think that's the challenge. Okay, so let me go off the back of that because we're going to be running out of time here. And, and can somebody let the children's ministry know we'll be a little bit late? Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> you got it. Great, Kate. Thank you. We'll be a little, a little bit late. If you could text everybody. Um, because this is too important to miss. Um, and, and what you're seeing, even in, in Joel's response, that got uncomfortable for some of you. This is what we do. We have the freedom to say, okay, then does that mean this? And have real, we're not carrying this weight of we have to do it all right. We actually can say what we don't know we don't know. And we step in it sometimes. Annie Stanley comes out of um, how, do people who, how should people who look different than you experience you? And his, one of his first points is you can't just be non-racist, but you have to be anti-racist. And that is a very politically charged word now. It wasn't two years ago when the message came. It is now. Um, and Alex, I asked you this, you know, in the room that day. How do you, how do you receive that? Because it's 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 out there. We know we don't want to just not be racist ourselves, but we want to be anti. So that's living a way as to not harm another, acting a way as to make wrongs right. I, I love your response to this, and then anybody else that. Yeah, I'll try to be quick so other people can go. Um, we. We, the church, cannot allow society to hijack everything. The, the <laughs> I was going to say something. Okay. Um, like, the rainbow is biblical. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, there, there are certain truths that are true regardless of what culture says, current culture, because it will change tomorrow. But we should be anti-racist. That is a biblical concept. But because the culture has hijacked it, which is a trick of the enemy, why? That's a, that's a brilliant trick. You're like the devil's brilliant. Like when in his wiles, yeah. Sometimes, if we're not if we're not up on his game, but right. if we if we understand just the pure terminology anti against racism, why is that a bad thing? Like why that is nothing wrong with that. And if we just leave it there and saying we're against the, the definition you gave of racism, which was great, that's good. Every, I think everybody would be good with that. So, so kind of, we have to almost, not almost, turn the news off, turn all the, like don't get your, your understanding or your knowledge or your perspective only from social media or at all from social media, but get into some conversations and you'll understand that I push more against CRT than any of y'all probably, but it doesn't mean that racism's not real. Like those two things are not mutually exclusive and I think that's the way political structures pitted against each other. I'm just going to um, just say there we go. <clears throat> what I like what Terrence and Dave did with the, with the boys, for example. A lot of times we don't realize if we don't target the kids at an early age, they'll look at everybody in society as being rejected. And once you reject it so much, you become that demon, that person that you subjected them to be. So if I think that person is gonna rob me, or I think this person is gonna, gonna shoot up you know, the neighborhood or do whatever, right? And 
I'm not trying to put my influence or show some type of love to that child or go, going back to the prisons and showing those guys some type of love, right? Eventually, they become that person what society told them that we're going to become. So, so I, thanks for that, Romeo. I have a question then, Dave. What does anti-racism look like? How is that How do we practically live that out in, in the day and age that we're in now? Anybody? I think it goes back to a little bit about what Angel said about building relationships, being bold, being courageous, being intentional about seeking people who are different and looking for them to build that relationship. Not proximity, but actually getting to know them, understand, and get beyond my own thinking. Um, and then having the difficult conversations. Like I was thrilled being in education. CRT was huge and is huge. And it was absolutely, I really struggled with it. And I remember saying that in a board meeting with all white people saying, I'm really uncomfortable with CRT. And they all looked at me as if I was racist. And so then when I came to racial reconciliation that night and had that conversation with you, Alex, it was so freeing to know that a black man also has some concerns with it. So I, I think for me, being getting to that is about having the conversations, seeking out people to understand and being intentional. So we won't be able to unfold all this now. This is some stuff that impacted me in this particular conversation three weeks ago. However you decide to figure out how to be anti-racist, it has to be grounded in some biblical framework to live positively for something. Because otherwise, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll just kill yourself always finding something to be against in another iteration of what to be against. And if you're not pointed in your character at positively being for something, for people, for loving other people, uh, you'll be very frustrated with the outcome. So uh, that impacted me. Alex, I think you said a lot of that, actually. And uh, the simplicity of that helps to live positively for God and for other people. I think, I think Alec, what you'd said um, to that was, instead of maximizing what we're against, what about what we're for? And that is to carry one another's burdens. And I think that, that what I've got to see here, what, one of the things I did love that Andy said is proximity is not friendship. Just because you put yourself in proximity doesn't mean that there's a friendship developed. Um, can somebody just speak to that? And then I want maybe two questions from the, from the crowd and then we'll be done because I, I think this has been already beneficial to experience this. But anybody speak to that proximity is not friendship and how that has shaped that thing that Joel's talking about. And you can if you'd like. I saw you get excited thank, about thank, that. Thanks, thanks, Pastor Dave. Um, I think it has to be relationship. Um, I think that this journey has allowed all of us to build relationships. We encouraged people in the group to meet outside of the days that we actually meet every first and third, to have coffee, have conversations. But in, in the Wallace family home, there's not a night of the week just about that there isn't someone at our table who doesn't look like us. And that has allowed us to experience um, life at an, a whole nother level, which are my, not just my wife and I, but the boys' walls come down. 
Um, I'll never forget before we moved into this community, um, some of my boys said, why are we going to this community when we, these people don't want us there? They were only going by what they had saw in the news and what they had saw comments written on social media about their arrival or our arrival. But when we got there, the experience that we had with people who didn't look like us allowed them to experience anti-racism. <laughs> they had an encounter with hope. People like Joan Laurie, Angela, and the entire Mooney family, and the youth from Hope who came to our house and began to openly and honestly talk about their experience with racism. I think that those moments allowed us to have a shifting and a desire for my wife and I to say, our home will be a house of hope, but it will be a house where we build bridges to everybody, regardless of their perspective. And also regardless for me, even if they're not, if they're a non-believer, I still want to extend that because this is their opportunity to have an encounter with Christ. And so in our early sessions, we had some people, a part of our group, praise God, who were on the, they were titter-tottle with their Christianity. They didn't know if they wanted to be a Christian or not. And they spoke very boldly about their perspective. If you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. And um, it led for some long conversations out, outside of that. They slowly kind of pulled out, <laughs> but they kept, they stayed connected. They, I mean, they email and communicate, but... If you do this in your home or your community, you are setting a trend for those generational cycles of segregation and race, racism or any of that kind of stuff, that evil, you're setting a trend for that to be broken, not just in your family, but your community. So I just want to encourage, I want to take that opportunity just to encourage people, start having conversations um, in your home because it's a safe space. Break bread. Thank God for Hope for sponsoring those meals every week because we would be broke if, <laughs> if we did. Because <laughs> this group can eat. Would you guys say, and we'll kind of uh, just maybe, maybe one or two questions. I know we're running, but would you say that our churches would grow in diversity when our tables grow in diversity? Absolutely. And that one of the ways we can fight injustice is to be diverse in our table experiences because proximity is not friendship. Right. And we have changed in the context of relationship as we've stuck it out and said, did you really mean that? And did you say that? And is that really true? We've learned to love each other and see each other as this human race. Absolutely. Sure. Any question? I'll, just, well, I'll, take, I'll take one or two. You're sitting on the, you're like anxiously ready to, Ellie, go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Um, underlayment of all this is prejudice it seems to be. And so would most people you think consider themselves to be prejudiced? I mean, would they have a view of being prejudiced? If you said, hey, are you prejudiced? Would a person know they're prejudiced or do you think they don't know? I would say in most cases, in this process, people have discovered what they are biased, what their biases are, right? Sometimes, as I think Angel said, we, we don't know what we don't know <laughs> until we're presented with it. And change can only happen when we show up, right? And so I, I think that there were some prejudices that I had that I didn't even realize until we start talking in the group. I mean, I would say I've learned so much that I thought I knew, 
Like the fact that white, I thought white people knew that there was a black national anthem. I did. But I got to the group, nobody knew about that. They didn't know about redlining. I was like, what? So we've been angry with you all all this time thinking you were prejudiced, that you were racist, and you had no clue. True. <laughs> so I had to go back and repent to the group and say, hey, I'm so sorry, Dave. Like all this time, I've been thinking this, but I, I, I think that there are prejudices that people have that you don't, you're unaware of. Too and I think fuck. it's only because you grew up a certain way and you were never exposed to those things. Until you talk. Until you talk. Until, Until you, you talk, talk and have relationship. Oh, I'll two, and then we'll be done. Sam, come to you next. John, go ahead. You had a booming voice. I was wondering about uh, the proximity and friendship thing. And I don't care what a person's race is when I feel like they're coming across like in a friendly, pushy way. I'm right away. I'm, you know, I, I, I've, I've got my antenna up. What is this person after? And I wonder how, uh, how the black people feel about a white person that's they're like pushing to be a friend. What's the, what, what's the reaction to that? That's a good question. It is a good question. And I think it's, it's nuanced, so I, I'll, I'll say an answer, but it's not the answer, because just like that's how you feel, there may be another white person that feels differently. So I, I, everyone, black people are not monolithic, white people are not monolithic, whatever other, like no one's monolithic, people are people. And so that's the other weird part about some assumptions is that, like why would, he's a guy, he acts like every other guy, like why would he not act like a regular guy, you know? Um, but I feel the same way as you. Like, if somebody's too pushy on me, I've been in sales most of my life, so, you know, I, I always get that part of it. But this is the key. Those relationships have to be organic. And then that never becomes an issue. Now, if you're just walking up at the grocery store like, hey, Mr. Black Man, let's be friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be a little awkward. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I found <laughs> But like, I didn't like do anything weird to become Dave's friend. We just kind of talked and we kept talking and two years later we're friends or you know, before that. But if it's not organic, it's still not real. Yeah, don't be confused, take the pressure off. <laughs> no, be yourself. That's good. One more and we'll be- Dave, one thing to add to that, just for everyone to know, as, as um, at least the black people in this group, right? When you are building a relationship, it has to go both ways. Don't be the interrogator, asking all the questions and never ever answering any of our questions. So it has been the experience up here, because they come and say, hey, why do they ask us so many questions? And it's only because you're trying to get to know them and so I say, well, just ask some questions back. Well, I did, but they avoid my questions. So just be, be able to be back and forth. That's a good word. One more. Um, I just, um, in thinking about this idea of proximity and relationship, um, my neighborhood is predominantly white, and the people that surround me are predominantly white. And so my question is, what encouragement can you give or direction as a group can you all give to people who might feel like, I don't even have proximity, so how do I foster yeah. relationship in that situation? Get an end zone home in your community. 
<laughs> That's the first one. No, no, I don't mean I say join the group. Yeah. Become part of the family. Yeah. And we can do that. The, the desire is these groups all over. Um, and, and we can help do that. But what were you going to say? You know? um, the same thing Romeo said. When we look at for, for everything that we're doing, we can just allow Jesus to be our example. And the thing that he did that was so contrary to the status quo was reaching out to people that were so unlike what people thought the savior would reach out to. So in any opportunity that we have to bridge that gap um, and taking that mindset of, I really just want to be open-minded and come to it from your perspective and get to learn your perspective. We do this all the time, but it can, be, it can feel like a barrier in a, in a racial situation because there's just so many taboo things about it. But I think that if we just kind of let our guards down, allow ourselves to be natural and vulnerable and truly empathetic, we do this like with our teenagers. I have three, I can't believe it now, as of this weekend with the Naya graduating from middle school, I have three high schoolers and I have to do this with them. They see the world very differently. And so if I'm just mom who's just putting her foot down and saying, no, this is not what it's gonna be and this is why, then I won't be able to actually try to connect with them. So I actually really allow my kids to have a voice and to speak you know, what it is that they wanna say and actually hear from them. Now every time they can attest, my, my answer might not change, but I can come from a place of understanding. And when all the people were surrounding um, Mary Magdalene, they were going off of the letter of the law. And if we wanna be legalistic, then we're not gonna get anywhere. That's right. But if we just prefer love above all, as Jesus loved me, so I love you. I know that he loved me through <coughs> Like, I didn't deserve it, you know? I, there, there's, so many, there's so many ideas and ways and mindsets that we have about how someone should be if they should want our interaction, if they should want our help and those sorts of things. But a lot of times it's just coming alongside them and sitting in that thing with them. Even if we are at the upper echelon of society as Job was, look at how we look at his friends. It's like at the end of the day, guys, come on. Yep. You're trying to come in here with all the answers. How, how about just sit with him? So you don't have to make it a really big deal. You That's don't have good. to have like a whole formula and a whole thing planned out. You can literally just say, I understand now you're my brother. I understand now you're my sister in your own head. It doesn't have to be a big declaration. And then you can just sit there with the person. And once you actually become in a, in a place of understanding, then you will be able to connect on a level that you never knew that you could before. Preach it, Angel. stand. I'm going to read this over us, and thanks, guys, for being here today. I know some of you had to move schedules and uh, pulled this off, and we have one more service, but we talk about the kingdom that God is building, the already but not yet. It's his kingdom come, but it's now. And so in Revelation 7, after this I look, describing what it's going to be, and may it be now. 
There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried in a loud voice together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And may the way we live in not just proximity, but relationship with one another cause us to experience that kind of community because that's the church and that's the kingdom of God. And so love you guys. So glad we had this conversation. It will continue. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.